Part 7 of A Guide to the Lakes by Thomas West. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bassenthwaite Water Having seen the glory of Keswick, the beauties of the lake, and wonders of the environs, there remains a pleasant ride to Dewsbridge, and visit the lake of Bassenthwaite Water. Messrs. Gray and Pennant took the ride, but did not see the beauties of the lake, either for want of time or proper information. Mr. Pennant says, Pass along the Vale of Keswick, and keep above Bassenthwaite Water, at a small cultivated distance from it. This lake is a fine expanse of four miles in length, bounded on one side by high hills, wooded in many places to their bottoms, on the other side by fields and the skirts of Skiddaw. From Mr. Speddings of Armathwaite, at the low extremity of the lake, you have a fine view of the whole. Mr. Gray allowed himself more time for particulars. October 6th went in a chaise eight miles, along the east side of Bassenthwaite Water to Oosbridge, pronounced Usebridge. It runs directly along the foot of Skiddaw. Opposite to Widhope Browse, clothed to the top with wood, a very beautiful view opens down to the lake, which is narrower and longer than that of Keswick, less broken into bays and without islands. At the foot of it, a few paces from the brink, gently sloping upwards, stands Armathwaite in a thick grove of Scotch firs, commanding a noble view directly up the lake. At a small distance behind this, a ridge of cultivated hills, on which, according to the Keswick proverb, the sun always shines. The inhabitants here, on the contrary, call the Vale of Derwentwater the Devil's Chamber Pot, and pronounce the name of Skiddaw Fell, which terminates here with a sort of terror and aversion. Armathwaite House is a modern fabric, not large and built of dark red stone. The singular beauties of this lake remain yet unnoticed, viz. the grand sinuosity of three noble bays. Station 1 from Armathwaite, the lower bay is in full display, a fine expanse of water, spreading itself both ways behind a circular peninsula, Castle Howe, that swells in the middle and is crowned with wood. In former times it has been surrounded by water, from the lake on one side and the assistance of a brook that descends from Embleton on the other. The accessible parts have been defended by trenches, one above another, the upper part has been occupied with building, the vestiges of ruins are visible, and, like other such places in this region, were probably occupied by the first inhabitants, as places of difficult access, and of easy defence. From the bottom of the bay, some waving enclosures rise to the side of a green hill, and some scattered houses are seen, at the upper end of a fine slope of enclosures. The banks of the lake are fringed with trees, and under them the crystal water is caught in a pleasing manner. At the north-west corner the Derwent issues from the lake, and is spanned by a handsome stone bridge of three arches. The whole western boundary is the noble range of wooded hills, the Withert Brows. On the eastern shore the lake retires behind a peninsula that rushes far into the water, and on its extreme point a solitary oak, waving to every wind, is most picturesque. This is Skerness. The coast upward is a fine cultivated tract to the skirts of Skiddaw, 
which raises here in awful majesty his purple front. Far to the south, Wallow Crag, with all the range of rock and broken craggy mountains in Borrowdale, in fine perspective, and on their outline the spiral point of Langdale Pike appears blue as glass. The deep green woods of Faux Park and golden front of Swinside form a pleasing termination. Station 2. Return to the road by Skerness, and descend from the house to the oak tree on the extremity of the promontory. The lake is here narrowest, but immediately spreading itself both ways, forms two semicircular bays. That on the right is a mile across, the bay on the left is smaller, the shore on both sides finely variegated with low wood and scattered bushes, especially the peninsula itself. The upper bay is perfectly circular and finely wooded. In front, with brows rise swift from the water's edge. The extremity of some enclosures are picturesque, seen just over the wood, with part of a cottage. The village of Withup lies behind it in an aerial sight. A grass enclosure scooped in the bosom of the hanging wood, and under it a cot, on the very brink of the lake, stands sweetly. The views downward are fine, the banks high and woody to the bridge, of which two arches are in sight. Behind it, a white house is charmingly placed. More to the right, at the head of a gentle slope in the very centre of view, stands Armorthwaite, winged with groves, and behind, at a small distance, are deep hanging woods, and over them, spreading far to the right and left, a great reach of cultivated grounds. This termination is rich and pleasing to the eye. The view to the south is, as on the upper lake, much softened by distance. In the afternoon, and sun shining, the appearance of the silver-grey rocks glistening through the green woods that hang on their fissures is most elegant. Behind, an appendix of Skiddaw rises in rude form, and over it, the chief of mountains frowns in alpine majesty. This view is well seen from the house of Skerness. Station 3. The next remarkable promontory is Bradness, a round green hill that, spreading itself into the lake, forms a bay with Bowness to the south. The best general view of the lake is from the crown of this hill, behind the farmhouse. Here you look over three bays finely formed. Nothing can be imagined more elegant than the sinuosity of this side, contrasted with the steep shore and lofty woods of the opposite. The view upwards is not less charming, indented and wooded to the water's edge. If these views are taken, beginning with Bradness, then from Skerness take the road to Bassenthwaite Halls, a few houses so called, and from the road on the north side of the village, called Rakes, you have a very fine view of a rich cultivated tract stretching along the banks of the lake and spreading itself upwards to the skirts of Skiddaw. The elevation is such that every object is seen in full dimensions and every beauty distinctly marked. The lake appears in its full magnitude, shaded by the bold wooded shore on the west and graced by the sweet spreading vale on the east that terminates in a bold style under the surrounding mountains. The sloping ground to the bridge is charming, and the far-extended vales of Embleton and Issel lie in fine perspective. The river Derwent has his winding course through the latter. 
antiquities. Kermot is about two miles further to the north, on the great road to Old Carlisle and Wigton. It is a green, high-crowned hill, and on its skirt, just by the roadside, are the manifest vestiges of a square encampment, enclosed with a double fosse, extending from east to west 120 paces, and from south to north 100 paces. It is subdivided into several cantonments, and the road from Keswick to Old Carlisle has crossed it at right angles, part of the agar is visible where it issues from the north side of the camp, till where it falls in with the line of the present road. It is distant about ten miles from Keswick, and as much from Old Carlisle, and about two miles west of Ierby. Camden proposes Ierby for the Arbia of the Romans, where the Bercari Tigrinenses were garrisoned, but advances nothing in favour of his opinion. The situation is such as the Romans never made choice of for a camp or garrison, and there remains no vestiges of either, by its being in a deep glen among surrounding hills. Where there is no pass to guard or country to protect, a body of men could be of no use. On the northern extremity of the said hill of Kerr Mott are the remains of a beacon, and near it the vestiges of a square encampment enclosed with a fosse and rampart of sixty feet by seventy. This camp is in full view of Blatumbulgi, Bones, and Olenacum, Old Carlisle, and commanding the whole extent of the Solway Frith, would receive the first notice from any frontier station, where the Caledonians made the attempt to cross the Frith, or had actually broke in upon the province. The notice would be communicated by the beacon on Kermot to the garrison at Keswick, by the watch on Castle Crag in Borrowdale. The garrison at Keswick would have the care of the beacon on top of Skiddaw, the mountain being of the easiest access on that side. By this means the alarm would soon become general, and the invaders were either terrified into flight, or the whole country was in arms to oppose them. Whether these camps are the Arbia, I pretend not to say, but that they were of use to the Romans is evident, and what the Britons thought of them is recorded in the name they conferred on the hill, where they are situated. The larger camp has no advantage of sight, and is but ill-supplied with water. The ground is of a spongy nature, and retains wet long, and therefore could only be occupied in the summer months. They seem to have the same relation to Old Carlisle and Keswick as the camp at Whitbarrow has to Old Penrith and Keswick. From Caermot, descent at Usebridge, and return to Keswick up the western side of the lake. Every lover of landscape should take this ride in the afternoon, and if the sun shines it is pleasant and fine. The road branches off from the great road to Cockermouth, a little below the bridge, and leads through the wood and round Castle Howe. In some places it rises above the lake a considerable height, and the water is seen at intervals through a screen of low wood that decks the banks of the lake which is sometimes entirely concealed, and again suddenly caught at breaks in the wood. The road descends to the level of the water, and presents you with a variety of surprising views in different styles, that show themselves in an agreeable succession, as the eye wanders in amazement along the lake. Station 4. At Beck Withup, the lake spreads out in a great expanse of water, its outlet concealed by Castle Howe, 
the immediate shore is lined with rocks that range along banks completely dressed in low wood and over them withered brows rise almost perpendicular the opposite shore is much variegated and deep embayed by the bold promontories of Skerness, Bowness, and Bradness. Just opposite to you, a little removed from the margin of the lake, and under a range of wood, see the solitary church of Bassenthwaite. Its back guard is gloomy Ullock, a descendant hill of parent Skiddaw, robed in purple heath, trimmed with soft verdure. The whole cultivated track between the mountains and the lake is seen here in all its beauty, and Skiddaw appears nowhere of such majestic height as from this point, magnified by the accompaniment of lesser hills that surround his base. Over the northern extremity of this expanse of water, the ground rises in an easy slope, and in the point of beauty, Armathwaite is seated, queen of the lake, on which she smiles in graceful beauty and elegant ease. On each hand are hanging woods, the space between confesses much cultivation, divided by enclosures, waving up to farms seen under the skirts of Caer Mott, the crown-topped hill, that closes this scene with the most elegant form, and in the sweetest manner possible. If the sun shines, you may be entertained here for hours, with pleasing variety of landscape. All the views up the lake are in a style great and sublime. They are seen in the bosom of the lake, and by reflection softened with pleasing tints and rich colouring. The magnitude of objects is preserved, or but little diminished by the convexity of the watery mirror, but to the glass is reserved the finished picture in highest colouring and just perspective. As you emerge from the wood at the gate leading to the open space, there is a magnificent bird's-eye view, Keswick in the centre of a grand amphitheatre of mountains. Proceeding along the banks of the lake, the road leads through Thornthwaite and Portinscale to Keswick. A morning ride up the Vale of Newland to Buttermere, etc. End of part seven.